Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. Today, I am speaking to Tiffany Matthews. She and I met in a Facebook group for the Evolving Faith Conference. She's a writer and aspiring published author. We're talking about her own faith deconstruction and current reconstruction. Tiffany says that she is a person who believes that stories matter, that in them we find ourselves and others and our connection to one another. It was through stories that she found her faith and found that doubt doesn't erase it. It was through stories exchanged in letters that her husband, uh, that they fell in love. It was through his story and heart that she came to love her first child and watching the stories of her younger two children develop, which has been, as she says, one of her greatest joys. It is through stories that she has become invested in the child welfare system and in the power of community and belonging. You guys are going to really learn a lot about what it means to to believe and, and then not believe and question your faith. And is it okay to question? And she's gonna discuss what it was like to have safe spaces to question her faith in God, principles that she had grown up to, to believe in, and what it felt like to be in unsafe environments and to not be allowed to question. I hope you enjoy the show. So, welcome to When We Speak Podcast. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. And today we are going to continue the conversation regarding faith. Uh, and I look forward to even talking about this subject, which is near and dear to my heart, because today our guest is Tiffany Matthews. And she's going to talk about her faith journey and more specifically, evolving faith. So, Tiffany, welcome. Thank you, Tasha. I'm happy to be here. So the first thing I want to do is uh, for anybody that is listening, when you're a guest on a podcast, one of the things that I ask people to send me is a bio. And I'm just going to read your bio because you are one of the most beautiful. You have some of the most beautiful writing I've, I've ever read in my life. So I'm going to read your bio and then you can just tell people whatever you want them to know about you. So uh, Tiffany's bio says, I am a person who believes that stories matter, that in them we find ourselves and others and our connection to one another. It was through stories that I found my faith and found that doubt doesn't erase it. It was through stories exchanged in, let in letters that my husband and I fell in love. It was through his story and heart that I came to love my first child and watching the stories of my younger two develop has been one of the of my greatest joys. It is through stories that I have become invested in the child welfare system and in the power of community and belonging. I read your bio and I was like, it hit all of just every part of me. It was definitely a process to work that one out because anytime you try to boil yourself down to a bio, it it's a bit of a challenge, but um, yeah. I think I did manage to encompass a lot of what is important to me and what I've managed to work out over. Yeah. So 
anything else you want listeners to know just about your your work with child welfare or anything like that? Um, so when we're considering like my work with, specifically with child welfare, um, I grew up across the street from a group home. I worked in a daycare center that accepted a lot of youth and foster care. And so did a lot of that. And so over time that became a part of what I wanted to do. And I moved into the, pro- the real professional world where I wasn't going to school at the same time. And my first job was working for a shelter where with kids who were three to seven and did direct care for them. And it, the more immersed you get in child welfare, the more you realize how broken the system is and you realize how how much trauma and how much hurt is wrapped up in everything. And that was my intro to that. And from there, my husband and I became foster parents and adopted our first kid. And through all of that, it's just this gradual learning process of like, you start out thinking one thing about it and the deeper and deeper you go, the more you realize that there's not really a great professional intervention that it is the stories of people and taking the time to hear them and listen to them that is actually going to make some sort of a difference as they process their own stuff. Um, and so that's really been a beautiful thing to, to get to shift that in myself from wanting to be able to fix things to just wanting to be a soft, safe space. Oh, that's powerful. That is everything because of my own background, that that wanting to be a soft, safe space. I feel like I could write a poem just about that. <laughs> well, if you do, I want to read it. <laughs> yeah. Or you could write something. And just that, that's the reason that I became a therapist. That word, that phrase, safe space, I remember being in, well, I wasn't in the military, but I was working with the military and I was walking down the hall and I thought people need a safe space. And that just kept coming up over and over and over. Not that other, obviously other mental health um, organizations exist, other private practices exist. But I knew that what I would bring would be a little bit different because I'm a different person and God has, you know, given me certain certain gifts and abilities. And so I knew that my space would be what my clients would need, you know. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for that. So uh, as we are continuing our discussion, I've been talking to other guests who have talked about their own faith and spirituality journey and some of their own um, issues that they've tackled. Talk to us today about um, your own journey, but start with kind of how you were first even introduced to God and and when that happened and and just kind of take us from the beginning and we'll go from there. Okay. So when I was 
really young. I attended a Lutheran church and was baptized Lutheran. Um, but about the time I was five, my parents just kind of stopped going. They just decided it wasn't for them. And I remember at one point begging to go back because I felt some kind of pull to it. And they, they tried to take me and we went. Um, but while we were there, I'm very introverted (laughs) naturally. And I think as a adolescent at that time, I really didn't have the skills to figure out how to start developing that community. And so I was like, okay, no, this is just awkward. I'm going to step back from it all. Um, and then in high school, I met, I was on our school newspaper and I met a good friend. Well, she became a good friend. Um, probably the first one I made in high school. And interestingly enough, one of our first interactions, this should kind of tell you how much I was looking for friendship at the time, was her showing me a tract of hell and her telling me about how afraid she was of this place. And I didn't really know that I bought what she was saying, Mm -hmm. but I knew that her fear was really legitimate. She was... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. She was, she believed it and she was, she was very afraid. And so experiencing that kind of authenticity in the high school setting is just so rare that I think mm-hmm. I was drawn to the authenticity over the fear. So immediately just in hearing that, and I remember sitting in church and always feeling that I wasn't good enough and that, that I, I'm I'm going to go to hell. So that was, I grew up with that fear that, that just, I was just, you know, God was just going to send me there. And so did, in hearing that, did any of that kind of transfer to your own fears about, uh, you know, damnation or anything like that? Did, did that become your fear at all? So interestingly enough at that time, no. Okay. Uh, what did wind up happening was she wound up inviting me on a winter retreat mm-hmm. um, where we went up and played in snow and I live in Arizona. So getting to see snow is kind of a big deal. Um, and they also did a simulation of like moving through the dark in what would and how you would have to get to church in a country where it wasn't allowed to go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was somewhat eye opening. Again, it was, it was not necessarily the fear of hell, but like there was that fear of not being allowed to believe whatever you wanted to believe. Mm-hmm. And then at one point after that, I wound up sitting in a room with a bunch of girls uh, who were there and who all believed the same thing, wanting me to pray pray the prayer of salvation mm-hmm. and I think my bigger fear even than fear of hell was a fear that I was getting sucked into a cult mm-hmm. because I had been raised uh, not in an evangelical sense and so at the time I didn't think that that was I didn't buy all the details of it. I didn't necessarily believe I was going to hell. Yeah. 
But then what wound up happening was, you know, high school, like I want friends and these Mm -hmm. are people who are warm and accepting and they will have a deep, authentic conversation with you, which is magic to Mm -hmm. an introvert. Yes. And so after that, I begged for my own adult Bible and to get out of my children's Bible that I'd been using. And I found first Corinthians 13, 13 and decided that a God of faith, hope and love could not be bad. And that I believed in that God and I wanted to follow that God. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I did get drawn in to that mix of the supportive belonging feeling of being part of a church and really knowing that you have people you can call and knowing and believing in a God that is present no matter where you are. And as time passed, it became, if you want that, then you also have to believe this which is where some of that belief in hell and all of that sort of thing came in but I don't think that I the fear really ever had a chance to take root in me because I always believed that I was saved so that was never where I was going and when I wasn't saved I didn't believe it so it also didn't matter oh there's a certain amount of freedom in that yes I think so (laughs) and I think that having that freedom and throughout my time in my youth group with my high school and college youth pastors, they were such strong advocates of asking us questions and discussions and really building our faith in such a way that we could own it because we could make it ours based off of whatever it is Mm -hmm. that our answers were. And Mm -hmm. it, that made becoming an adult and moving into a church where your primary input is somebody preaching at you on a Sunday morning, a mm-hmm. little bit of a rude awakening. So let me go back for a minute because you were, you grew up Lutheran and then your family left that. And then you found your way into a different, I guess, denomination of Christianity. And yeah, Independent Baptist Church. Independent Baptist. And so was there any any concern or feedback uh, from your family about that during during that time as you began to, you know, to kind of encompass all that you were learning at that time? Yes. So interestingly enough, the church that I was attending was one that my great grandmother had attended when she was alive. Okay. Um, And so there was some knowledge of the church from that standpoint within my family. And I had a very mixed reviews from, from my family. Um, My mom has just always been very, very open. I think with her religion, It, it, she keeps it very simple and basic. And so it's, each person needs to believe the way that they're going to believe. And so she was supportive. Um, my, my dad did tell me a couple times that some of the things he thought made it sound like a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, 
paternal grandmother was just thrilled that I was going to church again. Mm-hmm. So very mixed input and reviews. Yeah. On, on that. I had never considered how some of those things, it can feel very cultish. And coincidentally, the guest that I had on in the previous show used the exact same phrase. And now hearing you say it, I remember, here's what comes to mind for me. And let me know if this resonates. For me, when I think about that, I think about how you talk about like the preaching at you, first of all, and then how it, it, it was this feeling of you have to believe these things. You have to believe it in this way. Uh, they don't explicitly say you can't ask questions or doubt, but it's it's an understanding. And if you don't believe and do these things in this way and serve in this way and attend all the things like you're supposed to, if you don't speak in this way, then God is not pleased with you. Then this is not allowed. Does that, I don't know, I, I could probably process that a little bit further, but does any of that make sense or do you? Yes, it it makes sense. And I find that the really interesting thing in my personal experience is how subtle all of that was. Um, Because it's not outright. You have to do this. It's, it's, it's being questioned with things like, have you prayed about that? Um, where does God want you to go from here? Yes. And, and the trying to make you second guess yourself by trying to determine what a being outside of you wants for you. Yes. And so there is a certain amount of it that takes away. And then on top of that, you're a sinful being who can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. So there is a certain amount that takes some of the agency out of it, but you don't realize it when you're in the middle of it because they're your family. They're looking out for your best interests. Yeah. And realistically speaking, I think most of the people involved in this, really do believe that they are doing their best for you Absolutely. and they their hearts for the most part are are in the right place which is part of what makes it so hard it does um from a now that I'm a therapist and I think back to my own even my trauma story my own history I remember being in church and there was a female um, pastor, not that the, the gender matters, it doesn't, but um, just in just thinking about the, the moment and she's in the pulpit and she says on your best day, she tells the congregation to all of us, she says on your best day, we're all just dirty, filthy rags. And we will never, we will not be clean until Jesus comes and and brings us to heaven. And, and well, I had already felt like a dirty, filthy wreck. (laughs) So you're telling me that I have to continue feeling like nothing, that this is just the life 
of a Christian, that, that that's what we are. And then I read in the word of God, the Bible, uh, well, what I believe is the word of God. And, and it, and, and it speaks to us being beautifully and wonderfully made. Right. And so then I'm wondering, well, what's the truth? Cause it can't be both. Right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> That just came to mind. So anyhow. Absolutely. And actually, I'm just going to go backwards just a little bit. And you say Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that she was a female Mm -hmm. pastor, but I think it does because Mm -hmm. you probably identified more strongly with it because it was coming from her mouth. And that's another piece of my experience is it was, we did not have female pastors, Mm -hmm. Um, but ironically, like a female missionary could come and speak on what she was doing. Yes. But we couldn't have a female pastor in our church. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to to see that difference, but that's a much longer conversation. And mm-hmm. when it comes to the, the, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, God created man and saw that it was good. Yes. Um, like, it, there are so much that speaks to us. And then the primary verse that we were taught to use in evangelizing was, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when, when you're taking that back to counseling or social work mm-hmm. or child welfare, mm-hmm. it makes me think of a diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody is not their diagnosis. They just right. have whatever yes. that is. And so our sin, I don't think should be our defining factor either. We just have it. And I think yes. that it's incredibly rooted in our trauma and our, the things that have hurt and wounded us. And when we act out of that, hurts other people and creates that vicious cycle that harms from one generation to the next, which is also what the Bible says happens. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, so you're, you're really young and you're, you're going to this independent Baptist church. Um, How old were you? You know, how long did you kind of stay within that? Oh, I, we, we only left four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And so I was there from the time I was 14 to 27. So 13 years. Okay. Um, long time. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long time. When did things start to shift or change or deconstruct for you? It's, it definitely happened by degrees. And this is one area where that and my child welfare journey of like wanting to fix and moving to the safe. It, I've definitely noticed that the evolution is very small and you don't even notice it happening at first. And I would say that for me, it initially started uh, my senior year of high school and this is how long it has, it took, you know, like my senior year of high school until I was 27 to leave. But the, the questions started getting really strong then because a bunch of my friends had gone to college and they had this strict division of high school and college mm-hmm. for your groups. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends who went to college started to leave mm-hmm. because they started to feel more of that okay you're old enough now shape up and act right yeah 
than feeling that love and support and belonging piece. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of really long conversations with my youth pastor about this. And we, um, and sometimes he was always very good to listen, but from the church as a whole, the message that came out was more so they're not right with God. If they wanted to be right with God, they would stay. Yeah. And I'm a fairly self-critical person myself. And so that Mm -hmm. always bothered me. Like I, Mm -hmm. I really struggle with shifting, placing blame anywhere else. Cause I'm like, I can't change anything else. All I can change is myself. So I will pick and tweak and do whatever it needs to do to try to change myself, to make myself fit and seeing the church's unwillingness to do that. Mm-hmm. that unwillingness to like self critique and figure out how you can make it better mm-hmm. was really hard for me. Mm-hmm. And their mindset was just that God was already perfect. So we'll just pin it all back on that. And yeah. and it just never really added up. Yeah. So I'd say that was where it started. Uh, and it just kind of continued. Um, my husband and I got married at 21 um, mm-hmm. he deployed to Iraq three months after we got married. Mm-hmm. And so that was a little bit of an eye-opening experience as well, because as supportive as the church was for that, um, or as much as I thought they were during that time, it, it's been interesting lately because I've gone back and I've read through journals mm-hmm. and in my journals, it's my childhood friends who were separate from the church who showed up. Oh, powerful. So it was just, Mm -hmm. so I think that that kind of also started to contribute a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that there weren't people in the church who showed up as well. There, there were, I had a, my college pastor's wife, he had also been in the military and deployed during their first year marriage. And so she was a huge asset during that time, but, but for the most part, it just wasn't, it wasn't there. And then can we uh, pause right there? Yeah. So I think that there are a number of themes just in that. You've got these young adults who are branching out. They are finally have agency over their own decisions, their lives they are going to college. They're finding out who they are. uh, And all of these things are happening. And, and then there's some criticism maybe some, some, some scarcity perspective or some fear of, of people leaving <laughs> the church and what that means from a financial perspective or from a, a soul perspective of, oh, they're, you know, they're out in the world. Uh, but here's a little whisper that came as you were talking. I almost, it's like I almost saw, saw God saying, if my people, if, 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 if you are all the hands and feet of Jesus. My hands and feet exist outside of these four walls. <laughs> so, so you're going to be taken care of, <laughs> not just from the people here, but from all over, you know, I don't know if that, but yeah, that's just kind of the image that I got. And it's so crazy that you put that with that time, <laughs> because I know that to be true now. But I had 
I did not have eyes to see that at that time. Sure. And, but it is, it is, it's been an incredible thing to watch that happen and to, to mm-hmm. then go back and look back and see that it was even happening mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. So, um, so four years ago, you made a decision or, or I guess continue. So, so that was the start of it. And then what else, what other pieces came that kind of led you to your faith deconstruction and, and, and then the reconstruction and all of that? Yeah. So we just, I mean, we kept going to church cause that's mm-hmm. what good Christians do. Right. And um, I would sit in the pews and I would, get so angry at everything that was said that I would literally flip through my Bible trying to find the verse that countered whatever was being preached. Mm-hmm. And I would so many sermons preached in the negative, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't do this. This person's wrong. You can't be like these people. Like, can you tell me what I am supposed to do for a change? Right. Yeah. Um, so much of that. And, and then just I think it became a little bit more personal. My husband and I became foster parents and like a week before Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is always a really big deal in the church, right? Like mm-hmm. it we is. celebrate our mothers. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't recognized as becoming a mom. Mm. And for me, it <laughs> it was also interesting because I also found out I was pregnant that week, but not anybody else knew that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but, but to me, it, that didn't necessarily matter so much as the fact that this kiddo that I'd brought home mattered. Mm-hmm. And if we're doing the things that the Bible tells us to do and taking care of the widows and the orphans and yes. why aren't why does that get overlooked? Yes. And so that was a little bit of just a personal dig. Um, and then as time went on, I started to wonder, you know, that best friend I made in high school yes. kind of started, started drifting away. And I wondered about whether or not that had to do with the fact that I had brought home this child, whether that had what like I, I kept grasping at straws trying to make sense of that. And so mm-hmm. that started happening. And then um, a, and then I found Rachel Held Evans blog. Mm-hmm. And so then I started to read anything I could get my hands on that had these stories that allowed Christianity to still exist, but without so many of the restrictions and the boxes and the things inside of it. Mm -hmm. And the more that grew, the, the more ready I was to just walk away. But my husband Mm -hmm. was born and raised in this church Mm -hmm. and it was much harder for him. And so, and he's was the head of the household. And so we didn't do that. And so the agreement was that we would go and we would talk with our pastor about some of the things that we wanted to see change. And, 
one of the really specific ones was this is a I'm sorry, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. But at this point, I'd given mm-hmm. birth and ha- we had two kids. Um, and so we were talking about how we saw people involved in the children's ministry who just really didn't want to be in there. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the big changes that we wanted to see was was that. And then there were other things as well. But that mm-hmm. was something that was solid that we could kind of hold on to. Mm-hmm. And we we got told to be the change that we wanted to see. And so that was like my rallying point. I rallied every scrap of anything I had left in me. and was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I decided I was taking on the children's nursery mm-hmm. and I was going to redo it. And I was going to come up with a curriculum for these little people. And we were just going to dig in and do it. Mm-hmm. And that I would ask for people to volunteer to help. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't mandate it because up till this point, if you had a kid in there, you were mandated a time slot. Uh I had one volunteer Mm -hmm. after over a year. Mm -hmm. And it was a smaller church. There were less people available for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I still felt like somebody else should care about these kids, too. Right. and so that was that was more discouragement and more discouragement and it was just building on itself. And then um an affair situation kind of came to light among some of the leadership in our church. Mm-hmm. And as that kind of broke apart and broke open what was left because Mm-hmm. A lot of people had left from that great college exodus and then more left as we became adults. And mm-hmm. and so there was just this giant rift at this point where you had people taking sides. And I had written a letter to our pastor just being like, can we all just get together and like talk? Like, and mm-hmm. like I and I still don't know everything that went down it really might not have been possible I I don't there's a lot I don't know but I do know that he never got back to me Mm. and so after and I followed up and my husband followed up with him Mm -hmm. um, and he's just like I don't have time now I don't have time now I don't have time now Mm -hmm. give him some credit he had suffered a traumatic brain injury the year prior Mm-hmm. And so it might just have been too much for him to do. It was but, a lot. But the fact of it was that after having rallied mm-hmm. and put so much of myself, like I was like, I, I don't have it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything left to keep pouring into this endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually went looking at another church's website and they had a foster care ministry, which is something that is also very important to me. And that became our sign to jump. Well, you, first of all, let me go back a little bit because I don't remember when I was introduced to Rachel Held Evans, but what I know is once I started reading her books, once I started following her on social media. Well, I was already questioning a lot of stuff anyways. 
And and it's like she shined the brightest light. And and that's not really the phrase that I'm that I'm even looking for, but but it was like pay attention. <laughs> God, it, it it was like God is bigger than every belief you've ever been forced to believe or whatever, you know, whatever point of view, whatever God is bigger. And through my own doubts, (laughs) I felt like that was the first thing, my own curiosity is like, Hmm. (laughs) And, And then it was, there was this expansion that happened just in my own belief system. And so I began to, to kind of, with the only way I can I can really say it is it's like if you if you thought you knew God before you didn't know God so let me sh- let me show you right and I think and then she all but she also left it open too right like yes like not I, not can I just show you mm-hmm. but let's step into letting him continue to reveal himself right exactly Ex- because I totally one of, agree. Because none of us are ever actually going to be able to define it. Absolutely. Yeah. And she did it so gracefully, too. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the bigger things that I've taken from her as well, Mm -hmm. is that she did continue to love people well. Even she talked about struggling with some of the people in the church, Mm -hmm. but she also recognized the good that came out of it and the positives mm-hmm. that could come out of it. And she balanced that very, very gracefully. She and did. So she gave me a space and all of my anger and frustration mm-hmm. to let some of that go. Yes. It, it was also a time period in which I was looking for not my belonging in a church or a congregation, but my belonging with, God and and it was just uh you've probably heard people say you know everybody's in everybody's welcome you know we're, we're all in there you know and 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 so for me it was it was finally somebody saying God loves you too like we're all literally seriously loved so anyways we could that's a whole other podcast episode but anyway <laughs> An RHE podcast episode. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be perfect. So, so yeah. So all of these things happen. It sounded like a lot of crisis was happening. Um, and the dominoes just began to fall in certain ways. Yeah. And then even still though, I was, I was grasping onto that. It was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. if this isn't going to work, let's go find the church that does. Yeah. And so we went and we tried that. And initially I thought that I got asked to do a leadership role in the foster care ministry. Mm-hmm. And I initially I wanted to grab at that. And then at the last minute I talked to that new pastor. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I still have too much, too much I'm dealing with from the last church to be, mm-hmm. to be fair, to be mm-hmm. leading something. Mm-hmm. And then my oldest son wanted to 
to go to a different church because his best friend was in the youth group there. And so we moved again and it just became, it became easier to just keep moving because, because you didn't have that like deep rooted belonging of I've been here my whole life. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened Mm. and it actually wasn't until COVID happened that we stopped going to church. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was interesting because about, about six months in, we were talking as a family one night and we're like, we were asking our kids, do any of you miss going to church? Mm -hmm. And my husband and I were talking about it. And while there are people that my kids miss from the first church we belonged to, because it was people they were raised with and grew up with they don't necessarily miss the experience of actually going to church. Mm -hmm. And we took up, we bought inflatable kayaks and took up kayaking on Sundays Mm -hmm. and just worked on meeting with God more in nature and in the places he's created. Mm -hmm. And my husband says it feels like he's been actually taking a Sabbath for the first time in his entire life. And I'm still not really sure what that looks like for us moving forward. I mean, with COVID still a thing, so it's not been an issue, but it has been incredibly interesting to see how not going in some ways makes us feel closer to God than we did when we were there and how you can shift just ever so slightly different things. There's a restaurant in our area that, was putting out pleas because they needed to make $20,000 in two weeks, but they didn't want to do a GoFundMe. They wanted it to be honest money that they earned. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there's not a need for GoFundMe, but, but this particular, oh, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted, they wanted it to come from knowing that people wanted them to stay open yeah. and wanted their food. And so they put out pleas to the, to the Valley, just being like, please come, please buy food. And then I was telling my husband, we, we went and we bought way more food than we, I've been eating leftovers for three days. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, we, we were talking about mm-hmm. that. And in some ways that felt more like tithing or giving than tithing or giving did because it was still taking care of God's people and redistributing and, and all of that. So it's yeah. interesting to start to see the different ways that you feel God show up and kind of tap you on the shoulder and be like, yeah, by the way, like, mm-hmm. I'm the reason that you went and did that. <laughs> You're like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, that, that and I love that you brought up that the issue of tithing, tithing in because in church, there's, there's a couple of things that they talk about a lot. And that's quoting Micah 310. And, and about giving our 10% and, and then they talk a lot about, about sin (laughs) and, (laughs) and what it takes to go to heaven and all of that. And, and so it's taken most of my life to dismantle the fear of, oh my goodness, I don't belong to a church and I'm not paying my tithes to a church, uh, and that fear of, am I going to go to hell? But no, because what God has provided me 
anytime I am giving to another or doing, you know, using my resources, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my money, you know, <laughs> I think time and money are the, the most precious uh, things that we that we have. And anytime you're doing either using either of those in the service of God's people in whatever capacity you can. You're all right. <laughs> You're giving more than 10%. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it certainly hope so. Yeah. So, uh, so as you have, and I think this conversation and, and our views of, of God and faith will continue to evolve, but through your journey, how has your view of God and God's people evolved now that you know, four years later and you're still learning and still growing and all of that. I think he's just bigger. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's, it's still that process of like, I I placed God in this box, right? He only Mm -hmm. accepted people who did X, Y, Z and I grow it a little bit. And I'm like, Oh no, he also accepts X. And then you grow a little bit more and you're like, oh, yeah, he also accepts why. And then mm-hmm. I think I'm almost at the point where it's like now it's mm-hmm. not that there's anybody I think he's keeping out, mm-hmm. but there's more people and stories out there that I don't even know anything about mm-hmm. that I get to go find. Mm-hmm. And so as I get to go find these people, mm-hmm. I also now have this belief that I can just go and I can just love them as who they are. I don't need to try to save them. Mm-hmm. So we're back to that parallel with the child welfare thing, right? I'm not going in to fix it anymore. Mm-hmm. I just get to be that soft space, soft, safe place. I just yeah. get to go love God's people. I love that. And I said Micah 310. I meant Malachi 310 before. I think that's the scripture that talks about tithes. Um, and if it's I, not- I wouldn't have- uh... <laughs> If it's not, I'll correct it later. So anyhow, um, so I have uh, over the last few years been learning more about this term of, you know, all the different traumas and and obviously religious trauma, church trauma is a part of that. As you think about the term, uh, the phrase church trauma, does that in any way, would you, would you, would you use that to describe your experience or, or not so much? You know, it's really, really interesting that you asked that because, and interestingly enough, this also parallels just with my own childhood, even. Mm -hmm. I do not, I have never considered in the moment any of the things that I've been going through as particularly traumatic. And I have never necessarily viewed them as, as trauma. Mm -hmm. It's always been very subtle mindsets that have distorted the way that I see the world. Mm -hmm. And so peeling back those layers and trying to see things more clearly and as who I actually am, not who I'm trying to be to fit in. Mm -hmm. 
I still don't, I, I don't know, I guess. I don't know if, because I know some of the really, truly horrific things that have happened to people from churches. And that was not in my experience. I, I mm-hmm. it, it was not some of the, the worst that's happened to people. Mm-hmm. And so, but I also know that you have to be careful about trying to compare those traumas. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's a very careful, <laughs> a very careful balance where I'm like, it definitely repetitive was repetitive enough to mess with my thoughts and my worldview. Mm-hmm. And so in some sense it was a trauma, but I still struggle with actually calling it that. That makes sense. That makes sense. And especially when you think about your experience and And there is a tendency for us to kind of compare it. Well, you know, one of the big things that happens in churches sometimes is like sexual assaults or sexual abuse. Um, really big forms of of those big T traumas, right? Right. But as we know in our field, right, that it's th- those little things, sometimes they have the same or similar impact and they're just as meaningful. And so maybe we, and we don't even have to use the T word, (laughs) but whatever happened, it caused a shift in your perspective. It caused some pain. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and, and it's caused you to redefine a lot of things in your life and, and how you view God and faith and religion and church and um, and the path you even want to take with your, your own journey and with your children and how they're exposed to God and, and what they learn. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you, you know, as a mom and when you think about what, what do I want my children to learn about Jesus or what do I want my, my children to learn about God? What are some things that come to mind for you? I want them to have the ability to check in with their own spirituality, whatever Mm -hmm. that might be. Mm -hmm. Um, I want them to feel connected to people. Mm-hmm. And to know that that, I think it's Brene Brown talks about in Braving the Wilderness, that mm-hmm. complete, how you can, you can do so much more when you believe that your connection to others isn't dependent on any one thing. And um, I want them to have that. I want them to believe that they are connected no matter what. And I do think that that's something that Jesus and Christianity can provide is that, that feeling. Um I want them to believe that the greater forces in the world are out there for love, that for them, that, that those are the ones that will win and prevail. Um, And I I guess I want them to have that. I want them to have that space to figure that out for themselves. I tell you what, Tiffany, you are the perfect muse because I'm sitting here listening to you. (laughs) And I thought, what, an amazing love letter could be written 
to your girl or to your children just about this is what I've come to understand about God and this is what I want you to know and and then they're free to because they're going to form their own beliefs no matter what anyways but yeah that's interesting I am in the middle of trying to write down all of my my journey to some extent and the ways that it's transformed and Mm -hmm. the pieces of learning to trust yourself and all of those sorts of things and I've yeah. Always thought of it as something that they could read someday so that they might better understand why mom and dad jerked them around all the different churches. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but thinking of it as a love letter is much more eloquent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so this interview has been just the highlight of my day. And I look forward to, to having you back. And um, I've just got some fun questions now. We're going to just kind of move into a, a different part of our interview. So uh, one of the first question is, I don't know if you dance or not, or listen to any kind of, you know, music that like moves your body or whatever, but what's your favorite genre of music? <laughs> Apparently, you can't ask me light and easy questions because apparently I don't know how to answer them. <laughs> <that way. laughs> yeah, Tiffany's too um, deep. <laughs> um, I don't even know what the genre is, but so I'm in a process of reevaluating what my favorite genre is because I feel like that's something that got overshadowed by this whole faith journey. But, uh-huh. um, There's a song called Something Just Like This mm-hmm. that my teenager played on repeat for mm-hmm. for months. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is one that's that makes me want to dance because watching him get into something mm-hmm. and then my younger children also get into it. My daughter, mm-hmm. who's five, will pull me out and make me dance with her mm-hmm. to it. So that, I think that's the... Nice. Mm-hmm. It's not a whole genre, but it's at least a song. Yeah, it's a song. (laughs) And you're still figuring all of that stuff out. So, okay. (laughs) Who or what inspires you? Oh, my goodness. My kids probably are my biggest inspiration. Um, Seeing the things that they accept and the ways that they live is the enthusiasm and the ability to take life as it comes and Mm -hmm. jump into it and take joy in it Mm -hmm. is a reminder I need constantly. Um, And then I would have a whole slew of writers who have inspired me. Yourself is on the list as well. Um, But Rachel Held Evans and Brene Brown and Madeline Langle and um, anybody who's willing to share their story with me. Yeah. So, Uh, Can you tell us if people want to read more of your writing, if they want to connect with you, like on a public social media page of some kind, where can they find you? So on Facebook, I'm under Tiffany Matthews with Mm -hmm. one T in Matthews. And on Instagram, it's tornado period of period stars is the name there which will hopefully be the name of the first book 
I am so excited to read your first book and to have you back out, um, to have you back on my podcast. So I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for for being a guest today. And um, I just really appreciate you. Well, thank you. Thank you for making it so, so fun and easy. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me for today's podcast. And please make sure that you visit me at TashaHunterAuthor.com or you can find me always at Instagram at TashaHunterLCSW. While you are at it, please, if you found value in this show, I would appreciate a rating or a review. Uh, Also share this podcast with others and I will see you all next time.